All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. Pizza Mind here. Bryce is out on assignment today, but that's okay. We've got another Aaron with us here in the studio. We're, we're multiplying. We're taking over. I've got Aaron Lynch from Anchorage, the Chief Information Security Officer. Aaron, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Aaron, Pizza Mind, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with y'all today. Is it just as weird for you to say your own name out loud as it is for me? Yeah, I, it's not anything that I've ever really gotten used to, but thankfully, you know, in a lot of the hacker communities and things like that, handles have, uh, you know, taken that place in my heart. Exactly. All right, cool. We're both on the same page as far as that goes, too. Let's talk about your background a little bit, and then we're going to jump into what in the world is InfoSec. So. Sure. Before you arrived at Anchorage, uh, what were you doing before? Um, so I was working at a company called Arxan. Uh, Arxan uh, focused on uh, mobile application security primarily, uh, where uh, anti-tampering, anti-reverse engineering controls to ensure that people could not mess with the apps that we use every single day. A very, um, a very, very sort of low-level approach. Uh, that's sort of been the the underlying theme to everywhere I've been in my career has been not just handling things at the application layer, but getting down into the cryptography, getting down into, you know, down to the machine instructions, down to the processor level, understanding Whoa. how programs work, how data actually moves, and then protecting it wherever it goes. So you are really, really an expert in the field of security. I mean, there's no layer that you're not touching. And that's how you arrived at Anchorage, I suppose, Tell us the journey, like, how did you get there? Like, what made you want to go work for Anchorage or get into crypto? Totally. Um, well, I mean, I'll, I will identify, I self-identify in front of your audience as somebody who was uh, a naysayer for a very long time. Um, I think it is, especially as people in security, it can be a tempting thing to just say no all the time. Uh, stick with the things we know, stick with the patterns that we see, because it takes a lot of effort to properly, you know, threat model and figure out what the real security pieces are required in a new area. Uh, and so uh, that's a challenge that I've always enjoyed, uh, really seeing sort of the forefront of how technology develops and making sure that we take the lessons that we've learned in the past from understanding good cryptographic systems, understanding good like security principles in general computing and making sure that those are applied to the special you know world of crypto. That was kind of the angle that really, really got me there uh, to even you know, looking at it in the first place. Uh, and then, you know, I was introduced uh, through some former colleagues to the Anchorage team and um, I found a, a team where, you know, in my world, having security be the front line of, uh, of, of your product and your offering uh, is a very welcome change from the culture in a lot of, you know, companies out there in the world. And so not having to be the only advocate for modern security practices, visibility, transparency, you know, smart new models of how to secure things uh, is a really nice place for a CISO to be. Uh, and, and quite frankly, uh, it's the team that I've found here at Anchorage. That's tremendous. And it's very true. Like good security is an oxymoron in most crypto projects. They build it out first and say, well, we'll secure it and harden it later. Uh, but suddenly overnight, they've got billions in TVO locked in it. 
and <laughs> maybe for only hours before it gets drained away because they're writing solidity for the very first time. So, well, it's yeah, this great is, that we're this having. Is not, yeah, this is not unprecedented, right? I mean, every time that we sort of move uh, into a new area, there's always a lot of excitement and the growth that we see, you know, especially in the DeFi space, especially as some of the projects take specific uh, social stances and societal stances. Uh, there's always going to be the rush in. Uh, the excitement is not going to be lost, but there are very practical things that I think these projects uh, do. We're a huge proponent at Anchorage of uh, jumping on what's new right, right away uh, to ensure that our clients can actually custody uh, the tokens that are, you know, that are being created from these projects. Uh, we like to get involved early on. Uh, even all the way through launching some of these uh, projects, uh, ensuring that um, the details of the contract, the details of all of the finances behind it, the legal structures, all of these pieces are compatible with uh, the framework that we have at Anchorage to make sure that things you know, don't move unnecessarily and stay secure. And so, yeah, we're, we're actually really excited uh, to see the growth in this area, uh, even though it can be a challenge from the security side. Uh, going into it with the the participation, you know, really early can can help that network grow. And as we know, with almost every uh, you know blockchain, you know, the more consensus that you have, the more people, then more actors that you have, the networks tend to be more stable, and and we can all reason about them better. Very well said. Let's talk about what Anchorage is at a high level and how it's different from, let's say, a ledger or a Trezor or a Trust wallet. What's Anchorage sure. actually doing? Yeah, and so the the primary benefit to Anchorage as a digital asset platform is that it provides not only the security pieces that are expected out of uh, out of a company that is custodying these assets on behalf. Uh, these are institutions that have expectations about. Uh, how how their assets should be held. And there's also a lot of experience here. I mean, this is not the first, uh, crypto is not the first foray into institutions having, you know, service providers and third parties hold their assets on their behalf. Really, that's why the power of having the OCC charter for Anchorage has been that we are bringing legitimized, you know, US-wide banking ability to institutions that want to then take that crypto to their clients. And so the, you know, serving the institutions with strong security in the back end, but allowing them to service the clients of of, of their bank, you know, their 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 network, their exchange with that same level of security, being able to automate it, being able to build upon it, that's the power behind the safety and security of Anchorage. Fantastic. So we're super lucky to have you, the brains of the operation, uh, on our podcast today to try and share some of the knowledge that you've got and that you apply over there. Let's start at a really high level. What is InfoSec exactly? Mm. And how is that different from, you know, just the general security that people think of when they have to put special characters in their password? Sure. Um, well, InfoSec as sort of a high level field is about the treatment of information as an asset, just as you would a, fu a fungible, tangible thing you can hold in your hand. 
information should be reasoned about in with, with similar terminology. There's a fundamental structure in InfoSec called the CIA triad. And it's uh, three principles around data information uh, that sort of help us reason about everything that we do with it. And those three things are C, confidentiality, who has access to it, who knows about it, who's allowed to know about it and who isn't. Availability, can I get to it when I need it? Is it there for me? Is the server up? Is it, is it down? Can, you know, do, I, do I have the ability to connect to it? And then finally, integrity. Has it changed? Uh, has anybody tampered with my data? Is it the same as when I left it the last time? Um, when you sort of think about all of the problems that we have around passwords and authentication and exposure, all of them boil down in, in most cases to a failure on one of those three levels. Either somebody knows about it that shouldn't, you can no longer asset, uh, access that, uh, denial of service, that part, or somebody is able to make a change. And so once you start reasoning about data with under those three lenses, it allows you to build certain security controls. One of those, the control where you have to put special characters in your password is just one example of those things. But those are the things that users remember. And so it's it's important for uh, you know a company like Anchorage, which is dealing with you know institutions that have put their trust to do uh, threat modeling around all of the different possible ways that people can uh, you know violate the tenets of these of these systems and these controls, and then build mitigating uh, you know controls additionally to continue to secure even more as new emerging attacks and things like that come out. Interesting. Okay, so we've got the lens of how to look at information as an asset. What other types of, I guess, security compartments are there? Like I've seen OPSEC being thrown around a lot on Twitter. What's the difference between OPSEC and InfoSec? And is there even more little subgenres of security that we need to be aware of? Uh, you know, there absolutely are. Uh, and, and the answer is, is anywhere you see a security control in the real world, whether it be a lock on a door, whether it be, uh, you know, cameras that are uh, <laughs> that are in the buildings that we work and, and live in, uh, whether it be, you know, any other sort of preventive control, essentially, without pretty much any generalization, there's going to be a, a distinct branch of information security that deals with that. Uh, we've, you know, in, in, the, in the communities that I run, we've got a very vibrant lock picking community. We've got people that attack, uh, you know, wireless uh, infrastructure, people that attack the hardware that underlies that, people that attack the IoT devices. And so um, there is infinite diversity inside of information security. Specifically, operational security has to do with really sort of calculating and identifying the side effects uh, to the things that we do uh, in our in our daily work lives and in our daily lives, we um, as humans, especially with the pervasion of social media and you know a bunch of different uh, entertainment applications that we have on our phones, really we have all of these places where we can inadvertently leak information, whether that be uh, our usernames and passwords in the worst case, or, you know, what brand of, you know, whatever you are buying on whatever site online that you buy, uh, so that they know to advertise to you that can be used for a bunch of different cases. But operational security is considering that as a source of information, and then determining what the threat is of exposing that information to you. And so it's kind of like figuring out what you're giving off into the uh, digital ether. 
uh, to, to figure out if it hurts you or not. Interesting. Interesting. So for a lot of our listeners right now, many of us have been uh, on this journey, you know, since 2017, 2018, they've come up quite a bit in their wealth uh, and they're worried about losing it now. And just as many people are listening that are just getting into crypto now and they want to know at what point do I need to start taking these extra security measures beyond just a hardware wallet and two-factor authentication on my exchanges. What would you say is a good time to consult uh, an external you know, security auditor or firm to say, what are the next steps that I need to take or perhaps form an LLC and trust Anchorage with that part of the, their journey? Totally. And uh, I will just preface everything that I'm saying here is that, you know, Anchorage is not a place uh, where we give out financial advice or legal advice on this. And so everything I'm saying here is sort of uh, practical operational security advice that could be applied right, exactly. to anything regardless of, uh, of this. Uh, but that said, I, I will say that some of the some of these controls that you're talking about uh, need context to mean anything. And the way that I always encourage people to think about this is as roots of trust. What are you placing your roots of trust in? Could it be the password that you have come up with in your brain? Yep, that's absolutely right. That is something you know that is a root of trust that you've created. Now, do you use the SMS on your phone to allow for uh, password resets to, you know, get one-time passwords or, or, or whatnot there? That is another choice that we actively make about what another root of trust would be. Um, and so, obviously, not all root of tr roots of trust are created equally, and some are more manipulable than others. Uh, that's true about passwords. That's true about MFA. That's true about every security control is, at the end of the day, who has the power to know, observe, and change that thing. That's why when we see, you know, uh, SIM jacking attacks where people's phones have been taken over for the purposes of resetting their credentials, that is because there is a fundamental insecurity at a lower level inside of the telecommunications infrastructure that allows for that root of trust to be compromised outside of the control of you. And so, there are other methodologies which don't rely on infrastructure that's complicated and opaque, like hardware security tokens being a, an indicator of presence. Uh, instead of using a you know, communication connected device to do that. Uh, so I guess at every step of the way, there are, there are choices that we make about whether or not we repeat passwords, whether or not we make complicated long passwords that are randomly generated and use a password manager. All of these are different routes of trust and knowing what they are and choosing them strategically is the art of creating a secure world in which to run a business or even run your personal business. So timing the crypto markets is hard, right? No surprise. You do tons of research to invest and, and then you just end up being down 20% the next day sometimes. Why? Who knows? Maybe it was due to an unexpected sell-off that you never saw coming or some liquidation cascade that you just didn't have you know, enough margin for error there. And whatever it is, I just see too many investors falling prey to one problem. Um, and it's just not diversifying their portfolio enough. And no... Buying Ethereum instead of Bitcoin, to me at least, that's not diversifying. Tons of elite investors are adding other alternative assets like multi-million dollar blue chip art to their portfolios. And the secret to doing it 
is masterworks.io. Okay. This investment app has turned paintings by icons like Picasso and Warhol and even Banksy into investable products. Look, since releasing their beta three years ago, they've securitized $350 million of art and over 300,000 investors have signed up. Okay. Many of them happen to be my listeners. So to discover the power of art investing, head over to masterworks.io slash crypto 101. Again, that's masterworks.io slash crypto 101. It's very important as well. Take a look at the disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. And we're also going to link to those in the show notes. All right. Now on to our show. What are some of the most common mistakes people make that end up having their information leaked? Yeah, there's, I mean, practically there's two things um, that are the, the, you know, statistically, there's a number of statistics out there. The ones that you see are, are, are unfortunately the most base human instincts that are still being sort of, uh, sort of exploited. Fishing continues to be one of the, uh, one of the biggest, uh, vectors, at least initial vectors that we see with people having account compromised. Obviously, I'm not speaking about Anchorage in this uh, in this particular part of the story, uh, because at Anchorage, we don't use usernames and passwords as part of our security systems. Uh, but uh, the uh, the thing I will say is that uh, password reuse, especially when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Actually, password reuse around phishing uh, tends to be still the biggest compromiser of accounts, uh, you know, across the board, which means that uh, if you've got that one password, that one singular password that you came up with when you were probably in high school or maybe even before, uh, and then you expect that same password to never be leaked by any other, you know, place that you've ever used it. Uh, and you use that single thing everywhere, what you've chosen is one root of trust, one password that controls access to everything. It would be the same as if every house or every place that you owned had the same key. Uh, that doesn't seem like a thing we would ever choose to do practically in our real life, but it's something that we, you know, people do regularly in their digital lives. Whereas if they, if they simply just use a unique password for everything that they log into, that significantly increases the cost it takes to compromise that person. That makes sense. Is there any publicly available tools that, I mean, not, maybe not that you personally recommend, but you would suggest people check out and see if it works for them? I'm a big fan of cryptographic password managers. Uh, there are a few out there. Uh, examples are pretty easily derivable on the internet because I, I don't speak for any of them. But uh, essentially what these password managers do is you have a single password, uh, one password, uh, you know, kind of like the idea of that's the, 
the last password you'd ever need to remember. And then you would use that long complicated password to generate other passwords that are unique. Those are the ones that you actually use on the individual sites and services so that you don't have repeated passwords. Uh, but you also don't have to do the uh, write it down in a book and create more physical uh, uh, paraphernalia that could be used against you. That makes sense. I did uh, a couple of security videos myself in the past for our users and you know, just giving them basic words of wisdom, like use a completely separate email address for your crypto exchanges than what you do for everything else. And you know, like you mentioned, don't use SMS for 2FA. Are there any other general words of wisdom and best practices that our listeners should be able to apply? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, especially if you're using uh, hardware wallets, um, one of the things that you need to pay attention to is supply chain security. Obviously, uh, there are innumerable ways for uh, people to uh, pre-flight uh, the key generation and all of the other aspects of setting up one of these devices. Um, really making sure that if you are using a hardware wallet, uh, keep clean practices around your passwords, around the emails, around the phone numbers. If you choose to use SMS, you know, uh, SMS uh, two-factor, make sure that all of those are clean, self-contained, and not associated with the other accounts in your life. There's a principle in networking and information security that's kind of similar to this, and that's called segmentation. It means that Anything that you can do to make it difficult for an attacker to hop from one context to another is something that you as a crypto uh, participant uh, should absolutely be considering in your personal threat model. Because even if one of your assets gets compromised because you used an old password, you shouldn't allow that to have all of your assets be compromised. And if something does go wrong, it's limiting the damage of what would happen in those cases. So as far as managing the supply chain risk, then you wouldn't recommend getting a hardware wallet on sale from Amazon, but rather just going directly to the factory? Um, I, I think your mileage may vary. Um, so again, everything like this is sort of a, a percentage, right? Because we've all heard the stories about uh, fake devices being sold through various websites. Right. We've seen uh, auction sites or marketplace sites offering preloaded, very conveniently preloaded uh, uh, hardware ledgers or wallets uh, that, you know, they, they did a really good job of making that key for you. Well, guess what? Uh, you do no, you no longer as the user have ownership over that route of trust. Uh, so I always advocate going to the OEM or the original equipment manufacturer as the source, if at all possible, uh, just because that reduces the amount of hands that anything goes through before it comes to you. That makes a lot of sense. That's okay, cool. So as far as, you know, let's say, let's zoom out again and just talk about security and crypto in general. What are some words of wisdom that you would have to any developers who are listening? Because we do have some. What's something that you notice like crypto in a general way could improve on? Or what do you think is the next level of security that's going to be adopted in crypto? Well, I, I'm not sure if this is specific to crypto, but I will say for like the uh, anyone who works in uh, either development or, you know, general IT, uh, one of the things that I'm very passionate about is zero trust. Zero trust is a big buzzword that we love to talk about in the, in the industry, but it's actually a fairly simple, straightforward principle at the bottom line. A lot of times, 
we're in places in life where you just kind of get access to the services where you're at because of where you're at. Like I'm in this building. I can go use the drinking fountain. I can go use the restroom because it's open to me. Computer networks actually can be very similar. Uh, there are services that are run on every computer network that can allow attackers to pivot and you know leave leave the confines of of where they should be and go into where they shouldn't be. Uh, the idea between behind zero trust is instead of just checking the credentials at the door like any good bouncer would, uh, you actually check the credentials every single time somebody tries to use one of these services, and so it allows you to have a much tighter set of controls over your environment. When you combine that with uh, containerization technology, things that allow us to really create uh, very secure, small increments of computing that do not have a lot of exposure of different assets and services that, that can be manipulated, it all comes down to reducing the amount of exposure and making sure that you're checking every single time that they need it so that you know, things don't go wrong. And so I'm a big proponent of zero trust. It's something that we've embraced at Anchorage as part of uh, the way that we keep ourselves secure internally. Uh, I would say if any developers are out there, you should probably read up on it because that's the way that uh, business is going. Well, the good news is many of the developers I have talked to recently on this podcast are very much in the favor of zero knowledge. We've had a few people talking about ZK Snarks and ZK Sync and this, that, and the other. Uh, zero knowledge proofs, I think, is really going to be the way of digital identity going forward as well, where, you know, on, on the other end, not only is it authenticating you as a person, but it's telling the other counterparty that information only what they need to know. You know, for example, right. if you're going into a bar, you don't need to know my name and address. You just need to know am I 21 or not. And that's all it's going to reveal. So I think yep, that's that, going to be that's absolutely right. Forward. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I, I, I'm a, f- a full proponent of exploring the cryptographic principles of zero trust and zero knowledge. This has been something that has been a, uh, an open problem in computing for a long time. Uh, and we are starting to have uh, breakthroughs on the cryptographic side all the time about that. It's great. So aside from security and Anchorage, what else in crypto excites you personally, gets you really interested? I mean, I've always been, uh, this is probably controversial, but I've always been uh, a futurist on the topic of voting. Uh, One of the things that's being exhibited right now in in so many of the different blockchains and so many from the projects within the blockchains is actually how uh, a decentralized organization can actually efficiently self-govern. And so I think, you know, given a lot of the, you know, the cultural zeitgeist in the United States, uh, that that specific topic has uh, come to the forefront with a very interesting problem at the front of it, which is how do we uh, help, you know, your your average citizen, we'll call them, uh, gain confidence in these sorts of behaviors and in the underlying technology which governs that according to a set of rules. Um, really, I think culturally, it's a very interesting problem because it's uh, how do we explain the mechanisms uh, to people who are not cryptographers, uh, to people who are not, uh, you know, computer scientists and, uh, and, and, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, may not be versed in cryptocurrency as well as, uh, you know, 
uh, some of the people that are on this in this po- listening to this podcast. Um, and so I love the problem of secure voting. I think that everything that we're doing in terms of proving out different models across different blockchains uh, gives us information about that problem. That's a brilliant answer. And something that we don't hear too often on this podcast is just the different governance, the different governance models that are being experimented with across the space. Governance is really an art, not a science, and it's completely subjective. And we've got different models going on that weigh everyone equally. We've got things that are weighted based on how much money is invested or how much time is invested or how many votes are cast. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a whole lot of different opinions on that. And it's going to be really interesting to see if any one steps out into the light over the other and continues to, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, gain market share. In a governance model, is there anything I, that sticks out in your mind that might be better than another, at least from your opinion? I, I think the thing I like about it the best is that people's opinions are sort of secondary to the fact that we have the ability to observe all of the results of these operations. It's right. one of the it's one of the interesting sort of properties here is that. I kind of look at the, you know, when, when I'm considering, uh, you know, a governance model or we're, you know, we're sort of looking at it from the perspective of our, our teams here that do research on the individual blockchains. Uh, one of the things that we always keep in mind is how, you know, what the side effects of, of the governance model is uh, and, and what it actually implies in terms of how power is distributed or how influence is distributed in these networks. And so, what you really come up with is parallels to societal concepts. Um, you know, there are uh, social causes all across all across the board, which speak directly to the implications by the governance models that we're talking about here. And so, I would expect resonance from specifically uh, groups that have been marginalized, or uh, you know, people that are activists on the side of, uh, you know, wealth redistribution and openness, uh, you know, the, the topics of openness that surround those, those conversations. I think they have the benefit where we couldn't actually look at the results to see how effects on these projects have been realized after changes and modifications and updates and uh, readjustments to these models have happened over time. And so I, I like it with the same answer as I do with most of the other things. Let's you know, try it. Let's measure it. Let's get metrics on it. Let's see how it actually causes people to interact and then, yeah, and then iterate. No system is going to be a one size fits all for every use case. Uh, that's, that was like one of the problems that, uh, you know, it's one of the problems we still deal with when we're explaining to people uh, sort of the underpinnings of our industry is that, yes, there are negative things that happen, but there's also a ton of positive things. And the problems are actually in, in some cases, correcting themselves through self-governance. And those success stories are the ones that I think we should all be focusing on and looking to, to support and help grow, because that's going to be the thing that helps society really come to terms with what is being built here. Yeah. And power from a bottom-up approach instead of top-down. It's really like the overlying experiment being done here. And, you know, so far for, you know, almost a, I'd say you know, the better part of a decade now, it's really working. 
Uh, I mean, and you've got Bitcoin, which doesn't even really have a DAO, but just the community of node operators and miners without a, like a formal structure have been able to control, you know, the most important money system in the world. So super, super interesting what's being done here. But we've come full circle. Let's uh, go right back to Anchorage real quick before we let you mm-hmm. get back to work here. Talk to us about what's coming up next for this, because if this is the first time people are hearing about Anchorage, these guys are the leader in this space for like institutional custody. Uh, they've they're the first you know crypto anything to get a banking charter from the OCC. Super super innovative that the what these guys are doing. What's next coming down the pipeline for you guys? Yeah, it's uh, honestly the the future is crazy bright in a couple of different directions for Anchorage, uh, but. Just in case anybody that's not really familiar and doesn't know exactly what Anchorage is, um, Anchorage provides uh, you know a digital asset platform that allows institutions to custody, trade, lend, borrow, and um, basically you know participate in the different blockchains that they hold assets on. Like like you said, Aaron, we were the first company that was granted a federal banking charter. Uh, in January 2021. Uh, and you know, for people that may not know exactly what that means, that means that Anchorage is regulated uh, the same as any other national bank. Uh, so pick your flavor there uh, in terms of national bank, but we you know we we do hold uh, we do hold um, a number of of coins and a number of pieces of digital assets for some very large institutions around the world. In terms of what's coming up, uh, DeFi, right now is is exploding we that you know from from the anchorage side there's you know crazy good yield generation opportunities uh that are uh sort of bigger and better than you would get in any uh a traditional market at this point in time we're working on making it accessible for the customers who custody with us uh to also uh take part in those ecosystems and really have a material impact uh you know with their investments there and also, you know, we're really seeing growth in stable coins. These uh, fintechs that have been popping up as, as, as well as uh, the neobanks that we're seeing are using stable coins directly now without touching fiat in the U.S. dollar. This is only going to reinforce the position of blockchain in all of these sort of experimental financial situations and, and really giving you know, giving the Anchorage customers access uh, to the various projects and, uh, and you know, places to uh, interact there is really kind of the two biggest things that are in our, in our sites right now. That's super, super interesting. It's almost like you guys are like a hub for a traditional finance coming into crypto and kind of following by those frameworks, but blending everything together from the other way. So that's really awesome. You know, first of all, thank you. And Secondly, keep going. <laughs> well, thanks for the encouragement. Uh, appreciate uh, having you on today. And uh, yeah, onward and upward for everybody. Yeah. One last question before we let you go. If this is the first podcast uh, someone just getting into crypto is listening to for the first time, can you just leave us with a couple words of wisdom? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is an exciting space. You're going to hear a lot of uh, a lot of noise and a lot of uh, flashy things uh, from from around the ecosystem. Uh, I would say be uh, deliberate with setting up your roots of trust. 
be intentional with ensuring that you educate yourself into the projects and the facilities that you are engaging with. And, and frankly, have fun with it because uh, this is the next stage of human evolution. And uh, we are all here with front row seats. Amazing. I love that answer. Aaron, thanks again so much for being here with us on the Crypto 101 podcast. And all of our crusaders, we will see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.